our state needs money. There is a bill out there, Assembly Bill 1253, that does not require a vote that would raise the top state income tax rate to 16.8%. Top rate right now, 13.3. What you need to know about that is it's currently written to be retroactive to January 1, 2020. Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite-Sized Finance. Kelly Brothers along once again. Thanks so much for tuning in. And unlike past shows, which have been somewhat evergreen, these are conversations that can last a while. Tonight, we're doing a show that is very specific to the next two months, to basically the final two months and part of it to January of 2021. But just year-end tips in the wake of what has been a tumultuous year financially and politically and steps you can take now that you might not be able to take, let's say, in February and beyond. We're going to talk about that with three different people tonight, including our very own Mike Genovese, the founder and uh, a partner here at Genovese Burford & Brothers, also Francis. Seen Voorhees with Moss Adams is going to join us. But we begin with Mark Drobny of Drobny Law Offices with steps you can take as one of the propositions which passed impacts the way you transfer real estate to the next generation. We begin this episode of Buy Sci-Fi with an old friend, someone you've heard before, Mark Drobny. He's been on the podcast before, but today we want to talk about and hear from a, a few different people about the end of 2020. I'm sure people are looking forward to putting 2020 in the rearview mirror, but there's a lot of changes coming, something we need to be just ready for, not only on the federal level, the state level. Of course, there were many changes made to the tax code after COVID hit, and you better be ready for it because there's a few opportunities coming up here. Maybe not 1231, but maybe in the first two months of 2021 that you're going to want to take advantage of so you don't look back in six months and say, oh, I wish I'd known that. Mark Drobny, good to see you again, my friend. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Let's talk about Prop 19, not 15. Everyone was afraid of 15. 15 went down to defeat. 19 passed. Some of the advertising was much more focused on wildfires, uh, wildfires and victims of wildfires. But as is usually the case with these propositions, Mark, that's not everything that was in that prop, was it? Not at all. No. Um, and, and it's going to have some pretty devastating effects on property taxes for inherited property that I don't think a lot of people understood. Right. So let's talk about that. Specifically, we're talking about property that would be inherited by a son or daughter over time. But what is the stipulation that you that people need to know about before February 15th of next year? Maybe we could go back a little bit and take a look at what. Prop let's 19. do that. Let's look at history. So history Prop 13 was passed back in 1978. Right. Before you were old enough to vote. Okay. So a lot of people don't. Barely, but yes. yes. A lot of people don't remember what the purpose of Prop 13 was, but it was because at that time, real estate values were going up rapidly in California. People were retiring and living on fixed income and their homes kept going up in value and their property taxes got reassessed every year and they were getting priced out of their home. So Prop 13 was passed to say your property taxes are based on what you paid for it, not what your next door neighbor paid for a comparable home. That was the intent. Then in 1986, Prop 15, 
58 was passed. Right. And Proposition 58 took Prop 13 a step further and said, if property passes from a parent to a child, the assessed value stays the same. And again, the idea was keeping the family home or the family farm in the family without having the property taxes price the family out of their, their property. Correct. Now we fast forward here 34 years and Proposition 19 comes along and says the real intent was the family home, keeping the home in the family. So we'll let you do that. Prop 19 still says if it's a transfer of the family home from a parent to a child who's going to live in the property, then the property taxes will stay the same. As a primary residence. As a primary residence. Right. So if the kids inherit the property and use it as a rental, if it's not a residential property, if it's a investment property. The old rule under Prop 58 was that in addition to the family home, you could pick and choose up to a million dollars of other investment real estate and keep the assessed value the same for those. That's gone. Prop 19 says you only get Prop 58 treatment on the family home if a family, a child is going to live in that property. Right. And the million dollar cap on the other property has now been moved to the residential property. So if your home is worth has gone up more than a million dollars, you only get a million dollars of coverage under Prop 19. So for a family that's had a Tahoe cabin for decades, what does that mean to them? The the Prop 19 kicks in on February 15th of right. next year. So it's not a use it or lose it by December 31. It's a use it or lose it by Valentine's Day of next year. Right. So you got six weeks next year and the rest of this year to figure it out. If it's going to be property that's going to be sold when I die, then I'm probably not worried about Prop 19 because if my kids inherit an investment property, are they going to keep it as an investment property or are they going to sell it? They're probably, probably going to sell, sell it. Yeah. And so I'm more concerned about step up in basis than I am Prop 19. If we keep the property in my name until I die, my cost basis gets a step up to the day-to-death value and the capital gains are washed away and the kids can sell it and pay no capital gains tax. They don't care about Prop 19 because they weren't going to keep it anyway. Right. So, so in other words, if you subscribe to Prop 19 and you do the transfer, you're transferring your basis as well. You're, if I give that property to my kids, I'm giving them my cost basis. Right. It carries over to them. They're, quote, inheriting my capital gain, which is way worse than having them <laughs> pay a little bit more in property taxes. And so, if but on the other hand, the cabin in Tahoe, if we're going to keep the cabin in Tahoe in the family for generation after generation, we're not worried about selling it. So I'm not worried about step up in basis. Then I think we need to give some serious thought to giving the cabin to the kids or a trust for the benefit of the kids, or maybe a multi-generational trust and get that cabin out, take the property taxes because Prop 58 still applies on a parent-child transfer and transfer that property now, get it out. Kids are never going to sell it. So I'm not worried about step up and I've got the property tax protection. Okay. So again, if, uh, if it's a home that you want to keep for generations, then that property tax bill means more to you. If it's something that you believe would be sold at or near your death anyway, to go to the kids as cash instead of a property, you definitely want to keep the step up in basis intact and not worry as much about the property tax, correct? Exactly. Okay. So what do you do then, Mark? Or what, what, what can, let's say, I mean, when I was growing up, 
my dad, the, the way we all got through college uh, and the reason we had any extra money for vacations or anything else is because he and my mom had a few small rental properties, you know, a duplex and a quadplex and Saturday mornings, that's where we were. We were raking leaves and cut lawns and, and painting walls if a, if a tenant moved out. So what if you're a family that has one or two or three rentals? What do you do with those now? What, what's your advice there? Well, if, if, the, if the next generation is going to keep that rental property as like tenants in common or in a limited partnership or a partnership or something, then I think what we need to be looking at in that scenario is probably setting up an LLC limited liability company and taking those rental properties and putting them into an LLC. Because again, the, if, if I own the properties and I'm transferring into an LLC that I own hundred percent of the LLC, then there's no change of ownership and it does not trigger reassessment. Gotcha. So all those property, property tax, tax bills, yeah. all those property tax bills on that portfolio stay the same when I move it into an LLC. The suggestion would be I'm putting it into an LLC to limit my liability, to protect from something happening on the property, losing everything I worked my whole life for. Right. But then the, the, the nice thing under Prop 13 is, is that if it's in an LLC or a partnership or a corporation and less uh, and 50% or less of the ownership changes hands, it's not a reassessment event. So if I got two kids, I can set up the LLC, take my interest and put it in there, own 100% of the LLC, and then give each of my children a 25% interest in the LLC. And keep the current property. Now there's 50% or less has transferred. Yeah. So it's not a reassessment event. The property taxes stay the same. Gotcha. When I die, another 50% gets transferred and at less than 50% or less has changed hands. We can take the position that it's not a reassessment event then either. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess this goes to show you, you really got to read these propositions because a lot of people didn't even realize this was in there until it passed. You know, everyone was so concerned about 15, but here's this little, this little wrinkle in number 19 that people are only now becoming fully cognizant of the impact of, and it's a good discussion to have. And it basically comes down to how long do you plan on your family owning that property? Yeah. If you're going to keep it, we need to take a look at something quickly and get it done by Valentine's Day. Mark Drobny, always great advice. Thank you so much. Kelly, thank you for having me. Joined now by Francine Voorhees, who's been on Buy Sci-Fi before talking about folks leaving California. We're not talking about that this time necessarily, but Francine, given your warning to people about what they should know about the end of the year, maybe we will be talking more about that because there's a chance we could see higher state income taxes before the end of December. Tell me about that. And by the way, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you, Francine. <laughs> Tell well, me about that. So we all know... Prop 15 didn't pass. Everybody was happy about that. But we also know our state needs money. There is a bill out there, Assembly Bill 1253, that does not require a vote that would raise the top state income tax rate to 16.8%. That's for income over $5 million, but it's graduated. Right. Top rate right now, 13.3%. So what you need to know about that is it's currently written to be retroactive to January 1, 2020. Come on. So you sold your business in California. So be aware that's possible. Will that happen? I don't know. We don't know. We're in just a crazy year where we're unknown about everything. But to think that, so you're telling me it only takes a governor's signature and no vote, the vote is, is passed 
I mean, that this is just the governor deciding this and that it would be retroactive and that they could do this December 31st and the taxes would still go back a year. Is that correct? They could they could do that by a vote and the governor's signature. Okay. As we have talked to you before, Francine, the tunnel of people leaving the state is already, that pipeline is full. What do you think a tax increase like this would do, even though it's retroactive, if there's people, if there are people sitting on this, the fence with regard to whether to stay or go, isn't this the shove over the fence into Nevada and beyond? They're widening the road to Nevada. Is that what they're doing? It, it's a, it's a freeway. There is so many people leaving and going to other States, not just Nevada. And people are looking at the increase in income tax rates, the property tax rates, trying to do business in California. People are just going, I'm leaving. And we're getting more and more calls from people. Because if anyone of any means is looking to leave, you're likely one of their first calls. Am I right? That's right. Right. And so those calls, you're telling me those calls are picking up as the year's gone Oh, on. absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. And it's interesting. The other night I was with Sac Regional Community Foundation and people are worried about, those are the people that support our community. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. The philanthropies are the ones that take yes. the big hit because now it's not home anymore. Right. So, okay. Well, we don't want to dive further into that. We might have to do that again next year. We'll see. But let's also talk about, you were telling me that ordinarily you try to accelerate your deductions and delay your income, but that this year you might want to completely flip-flop that. Explain it, please. Sure. So normally I want to push my taxes Somebody told me early in my career, make decisions based on what you know. We know we're in a really low tax bracket right now for federal. Yeah. And we know, I don't care who the, the president is, who controls, it's likely given the debt we have and that's growing that we're going to have to raise taxes. So really make sure you balance. Don't be in a zero tax bracket this year and a 40% Next year. Next year, and you, there was income you could have accelerated or deductions you could have deferred and got a much better deduction for it. Right, because the higher the tax rate is, the, the, the more valuable that deduction is, correct? Exactly. But at the same time, so, so, so if you sold your business in California this year, on the one hand, you're in a low tax regime fed, uh, federally, at least relative to where we could be right. in a year or two. Now, there are a lot of people who believe a Biden administration would not be able to raise tax rates in a recession anyway, that it might take till 2022 to get right. that done. So low federal tax regime, but a state income tax that could pop right at the end of the year and catch you retroactively. Right. <laughs> but a lot of these deductions that people are taking aren't helping them on the state side. Yeah. Oh, it's that's expensing, true. Right. expensing equipment a hundred percent in year one. You can't do that for California. Right. So it, it really is balancing because I don't want to be in a, ideally in a 0% bracket this year and a 40% next year. And we all know there's lots of transactions, too, before the, the capital gains rates doubles. Like you said, we really don't see that happening yeah. immediately. We think maybe two years, especially if the Senate is controlled by, by the Republicans, which we won't know till January 5th. Which is so strange. Why we don't have a uniform election system where at least we have an answer right after the election 
is beyond me. But the truth is we don't. The betting is that the that the Senate will stay Republican, but we don't know that. It's awfully close. We don't know that. It is very close, yeah. And, of course, now you will have a Democratic VP who would cast a deciding vote in a 50-50 exactly. tie. Exactly. So any other final tips, Francine? This is really an important year to do your year-end planning. Look at it and understand what your taxes are and make decisions. Yeah. You do. You have to look at because more than ever this year. And it's crazy because we're in a year where we have so many unknowns. Make decisions based on what you know. Yeah. Good good advice. Francine Voorhees, Moss Adams, thanks so much. You're welcome. Great to be back, Kelly. Final guest tonight, Mike Genovese, partner, founder of Genovese Burford and Brothers. And Mike, let's talk about exemptions because to a lot of people, these are just big numbers that only come into play when you die. But that is not the case if you have a uh, a president coming on board who's already talked about reducing those numbers markedly. Tell me about it. Sure. No, I mean, right now you have sort of a use it or lose it situation with the estate tax exemptions. Currently, an individual gets $11.58 million in an exemption amount that they can use either at their death or today in the form of gifts. A couple, it's double that. So it's over $23 million. But Biden has suggested that he would like to move that back to two and a half to $3 million or $3.5 million per person. And that was in his campaign. If both seats in the Senate go, uh, he very well could get that implemented sooner than later. Nonetheless. That's what I was going to say. Even if he doesn't, though, this is a law that sunsets, correct? Correct. They couldn't uh, you know, get it uh, put in place permanently when it was originally enacted. So on December 31st of 2025, we're going back to $5 million per person and $10 million per couple with the inflation factor added on. So anybody today that's got an estate, an individual of something more than $5 million or a couple that's more than, say, 10 or 11 million needs to be thinking about using part of those exemptions today uh, to get assets off their balance sheets that they probably aren't going to need to use to sustain themselves. So that might be their you know, personal residence. They could put their personal residence into a qualified personal residence trust, give it away to the children today, and still have the use of it for the rest of their lives but they're getting it off their balance sheet onto the kids' balance sheets so it'll appreciate there rather than further compound the problem within their own estate. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can look at, but I think personal residences, vacation homes, you know, things that you're not going to use to generate income. So if you own some, you know, land or uh, valuable artwork that uh, is going to you know, just kind of sit there, you might as well transfer those things today. You get to use them. You don't even have to tell them you transferred it. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you should. And yeah. one of the issues is when you're doing this, especially so a high net, so a couple is worth 25, 30, $40 million, you know, unless you actually convert what's currently community property into the separate property of one of them, those spouses, uh, before the gift is actually made to uh, a, an, another heir, then you're just using part of each of your exemptions. And unless you're given the whole $23 million away, you're not accomplishing much. Yeah, yeah. So you have to transmute it, meaning you're taking it from community property 
to you know one spouse's property and then that one spouse is going to give it away and you can use up all of their exemption. Wow. And and Mike, your point too is that even if Georgia stays Republican, even if the Senate stays Republican, those exemptions could be modified greatly in the next few years. So it's something you should be thinking about even if the Senate stays yeah. on the Republican side of the ledger. So on the gifting front, of a lot of people just think about the $15,000 per person per year. per year. The spouses yeah. can give 30000 each of their kids. There's no filing requirement there. But if you do things in excess of that, like we were talking about, then you do have to file a gift tax return. You've got to you know, go through the rigmarole of getting appraisals on all of the things that you're giving file a gift tax return. There's no tax due. They're just going to take note that you've used part of your exemption today. Yeah. Mike, let's spend the last few minutes running through just some end of year tips that anyone should know about. Sure. The first thing that comes to mind for people that are in our business are tax loss harvesting things where you go through your portfolio and you try and find you know, some, some losses on some individual securities positions to offset any gains that you've maybe recognized. We actually did a lot of that for clients back in March. We did a lot of repositioning. We took some losses and repositioned the portfolios. So there's not a lot that we can do at this point for most of our clients, but that's an important thing. Another thing everybody should do, you know, regularly, and I think year end is a good time to do it, is review all your beneficiaries all your accounts. I mean, I think people don't do that frequently enough. So I think year end is a good time to take a peek. And especially if you've got some charitable intent, if you've got retirement accounts and you've got charitable intent, you know, you should probably give money out of the retirement accounts, the IRAs and the like to the charities, because those are going to get double taxed, you know, in your estate. So that's a great way to pass, uh, to meet your charitable giving Desires. desires. Yeah. And, you know, we saw the CARES Act get enacted at the end of last year, last December, and that really did change the retirement plan distribution requirements. The one thing it did do is it, it allowed people that hadn't turned 70 and a half by the end of last year to wait till 72 to take RMDs. But the one thing that it did take away was the stretch IRA. So people that have large account balances that thought they were going to be providing their children with maybe a, a nice supplemental uh, retirement plan for themselves. Now those beneficiaries are going to have to take all the money out within 10 years of your date of death and pay all the income taxes on it. Your spouse can still roll it over into her IRA or his IRA and take it out over their life expectancy, but non-spousal beneficiaries other than handicapped children and a few other exemptions are going to have to take all that out and pay it in a painfully uh, short time. One more tip. What do you got? Well, the, the CARES Act uh, did, uh, which was enacted in the spring, did give an exemption for required minimum distributions this year for folks. Right. And so, uh, you know, that could be good or could be bad. I mean, uh, just because they're giving you the waiver doesn't mean you should. So you, you need to pay close attention to how much taxable income you're going to have this year to determine whether you should go ahead and take the RMD, maybe at a lower bracket. And even if you just stockpile the money in a, uh, you know, a taxable account somewhere to use it for a rainy day later, as opposed to getting yourself in a position where you've got to take more money out next year to pay for the new roof or buy yeah. the new car. Yeah. So I, I think that's important. 
And then also in the CARES Act, there's the uh, coronavirus distributions were put in for 401k plans. A lot of plan participants may not have this uh, available to them because their plan sponsor did not, the employer didn't adopt it, but you can take up to $100,000 out of your 401k account. And even if you're under 59 and a half, avoid the 10% excise tax. It's more or less a uh, trust me self-reporting thing. So if you have uh, you know, gotten the virus or somebody in your family has, or you've lost your job or lost a significant amount of hours or a child's gotten it and you've got to pay for childcare because the kids are at home and one spouse, almost any reason at all can justify taking that $100,000. And the, the beauty of it is you get to pay the tax over a three-year time frame. So if you took 100000 out, you're going to put $33,333.33 on your tax return this year, oh, next and the following year, which you know causes it to potentially be in a lower overall bracket than it otherwise might be. If you took it all out in one lump sum, you probably get pushed up a couple right. of brackets. And if you can come up with the money to repay it, you can repay it within the three-year time frame and go ahead and file for refunds for any taxes that you did pay. And Mike, in addition to the distributions, the loan amounts have gone up as well on the Secure Act, right? $100,000. All right, let's move on to QCDs. Okay, qualified charitable distributions. So if you are 70 and a half, and they didn't move the age up to 72, they left it at 70 and a half, you can take up to $100,000 a year out of your retirement account and have those dollars go directly to a charity as opposed to taking them into income. And the nice thing about that is they still count towards offsetting your required minimum distribution. And the reason why you would want the money to go directly to a charity instead of taking it to income and then making the charitable deduction is you're not putting it on your tax return. So it's not pushing up maybe your income. You, you very well might have to pay higher uh, Medicare Part B premiums if you've got that additional income showing up on your return. Oh, yeah. Not, not a good thing. And for even lower tax bracket people, it could push up the amount of their Social Security benefit that's taxable from zero to 50% or 85%. So, you know, they really are interesting. I'd love it if they would change the rule and allow you to take your distribution and put it into a donor-advised fund you can't do that yet, but there have been proposals, so hopefully more to come there. And the, the last thing I'd say that everyone needs to think about on the, back on the gifting, if you are going to do gifts to kids or to charities, you should think about doing it with highly appreciated assets. You know, if you give something that you have had on your balance sheet that's gone up in value, you make that donation to charity, you're still going to get the deduction for the value of it if you've held it more for more than one year. They're not going to have to pay any gain on it when they sell it. So it's a win-win. Uh, and the same with giving things to children or grandchildren. If they've got a lower bracket than you, it'd probably be better to give them the highly appreciated assets. I mean, if you've got a kid that's just getting out of school and getting a career going and doesn't have a lot of taxable income, you know, if their taxable income as an individual is less than $52,000, they're going to pay zero in capital gains tax. So that's right. That's right. Good idea there. And we can't leave this without just touching on the idea of a Roth conversion. Well, sure we can, but we, we, we won't. We won't. Roth conversions make a lot of sense for people 
who have additional space in their tax bracket to absorb more income in the current year, and for folks that really think that they're going to be able to leave the money in the Roth and let it accrue and compound for a long time, because Roths don't have required minimum distributions, uh, so they are a way to continue to build wealth tax-free, and you know, as long as you believe that you're going to be in a, a higher bracket later on in life as to where you are currently today, Roths make all the sense in the world. And a great gift for someone graduating from college because that money put away now, compounding, yeah. coming out tax-free, that's worth a lot yeah. of money in the future. Yeah. The only bugaboo on the Roth is you've got a five-year uh, window where you've got to keep it in there. Otherwise, you're subject to the excise tax. Mike Genovese, always a pleasure, my friend. Oh, give, give the one little tip, too, on HSAs we had talked about. HSAs are HSAs, health savings accounts, but but they're triple. They're triple tax, tax advantaged. advantaged. Yeah, you get a deduction on the way in. You get tax deferral as you invest the money internally within the accounts. A lot of people just use these uh, like credit cards, and they just have the money sitting like in me. a money fund. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if you uh, want to keep all your receipts and let that money grow and compound. In five or 10 years, you can pull out all those receipts and pull all the money out down the line tax-free. So you can get it in tax deduction, tax-free growth, and a tax-free withdrawal later in life. Triple tax advantage. Aren't many of those around. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to Francine. Thanks to Mark Drobny. That is your year-end checklist to think about as we wrap up a crazy 2020. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite-Sized Finance. The program is supported in part by Genevieve Burford Brothers. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your rating, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pool. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Genevieve Burford and Brothers Wealth and Retirement Plan Management, LLC. Royal Alliance Associates is separately owned and products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates. The discussions and opinions expressed are intended for informational purposes only and do not constitute solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation. Neither Genevieve Burford and Brothers nor Royal Alliance Associates offer tax or legal services.